Welcome to episode 3 of our 5-part series of Research Recap. Today's theme is, of course, relating back to locomotion, but now looking solely at our appendicular muscles. Maybe I should have changed the name of this to Muscle Evolutionary Trends and Investigating the Similarities and Differences. That's a little too wordy. Research Recap sounds to be a little bit more fun. What are we focusing on here? Well, as I said, appendicular muscles in tetrapods, looking at how those uh, functions and changes in structures can be applied to understanding kinematics. So, if we're looking just in general in tetrapods, the muscles of the girdles and limbs, they're more prominent in tetrapods than they are in fish obviously, because we're looking at more advanced forms of locomotion. So these evolutionary trends of increasing muscle complexity, and um, they're kind of in line with the trend of more complex terrestrial locomotion. So not only are there evolutionary trends of the transition from land, or from water to land, But again, as I had slightly touched on in episode two, specializations in locomotion. Because not all animals share the same mode of transportation. When we're looking at the muscles in general, they're categorized based on their origins. So extrinsic muscles, the origin on axial skeleton insertion on girdle or limbs. Intrinsic are the origins on the girdles and insertion on more, more distally on the limbs. And then looking at pectoral versus pelvic girdle, and that's gonna be really important when we're looking at the different forms of locomotion. So when we're categorizing things into the pelvic girdle, they're attached directly at the sacral region of the vertebral column, they're more stable. That's our mountain uh, foundation, referencing back to episode one. And they're a basis for cursorial locomotion. So. When we're walking, we have our balance and we're a little more stable on our feet. (laughs) Pectoral, it's hung in place by a muscular sling, suspends the body. Our uh, muscle suspension supports cursorial locomotion as well, giving us that freer movement, uh, larger range of motion, and of course changes in gaits. The evolutionary trend that's really important here is looking at the associated changes in vertebral column regionalization and more cervical vertebrae. So in fish, the pelvic girdle is attached to the skull. I've mentioned that in both of the episodes, but that's really a key feature that I found to be most important and easiest for me to digest when it comes to comparisons because it's such a, it's such a prominent feature that it provides a clear distinction between the two different types of locomotion when we're looking at evolutionary trends. And then with tetrapods, the muscles of the pelvic girdle suspend the anterior body from shoulders and forearms, and that of course is resulting into the freeing of shoulder from the skull, which was established in the early tetrapods. So. How are we having enhanced locomotion, what is facilitating the specializations, and what's allowing the cranial mobility? So what are these trends that we're seeing with the associated changes in the vertebral column? 
So with those questions in mind and kind of these big themes of similarities and evolution in appendicular musculature and muscle function, the key feature that I found for today's research recap is a article published early this year in 2020. So I thought it was really fascinating to find research articles in the same date that we are currently in, um, especially because in previous courses, a lot of research or papers or reviews usually use older articles. So when it came to this course in general, or this course in particular, I was really excited to be looking primarily at recent publications. But back on topic, we're looking at the locomotor rib kinematics in two species of lizards and a new hypothesis for the evolution of aspiration breathing in amniotes. So in last episode, I mentioned that I would keep tying back into episode one, and here I'm doing that again. When we're first looking at those evolutionary trends, one of the features was respiration. And so how are these locomotor kinematics contributing to respiration or just breathing in general in animals. The authors of this article state that most lizards walk and run with a sprawling gait in which the limbs are partly advanced by lateral undulations of the axial skeleton, but they wanted to look at the the tegus, which we had looked at before, and compared them to other monitor lizards. And they looked at relative motion of the vertebrae and ribs during a slow treadmill locomotion, kind of like the example from Dr. Hustak's lab of green and oils on treadmills. When I was in that situation, we were looking at endurance training, and so it's kind of a similar situation of the slow movement on the treadmill. Similar method. So to isolate the locomotion, they selected strides with no concurrent lung ventilation. They wanted to see how the movement, their sprawling behavior impacted, if it did, or how it did, with lung capacity or just overall breathing rates. So previous literature revealed that the sprawling gait in which the limbs are partly advanced uh, and then the motion of the axial skeleton ribs received considerable attention during lung ventilation, but the authors question what way do the vertebrae and ribs move during locomotion, if they move at all? So that's what they're really investigating here. They used a digital stimulation of the null hypothesis of not moving at all to show that lateral flexion of the spine would alternatively bring the ribs closer together and farther apart, resulting in uneven intercostal spaces and crowding of the ribs. Costal kinematics are deceptively complex, especially in squamates because they have unicapitate ribs articulating with vertebral column via shallow ball and socket joints that permit unrestrained rotation. So, since we're looking at sprawling locomotion, they're not going to have as much free range of movement as other specialized forms of locomotion. Diving right into the results of the slow treadmill observations, they um, 
using the treadmill locomotions. They found that there was evidence for ribs rotating substantially and similarly between these different types of lizards during locomotion, and that this suggests that locomotor rib kinematics may be basal to schemata. So using EMG, they found that there was fairly strong evidence that the costal kinematics observed were at least partially the result of active apaxial muscle contraction. They suggest that further work, including EMG and measuring muscle fascial length, is clearly needed to identify the source of observed kinematics, but previous literature and investigations on similar species provide a basis for initial analysis. So much like the last research article that I decided to recap, we're forming a, a new approach to investigating these themes and ideas and evolutionary trends, whether it pertains to locomotion or overall functionality, but these new approaches to understanding further applications into future studies, which is really important. Like, yes, it is a very recent publication, and yes, it's not fully understanding these inner workings of comparisons between species, intraspecies, intraspecific or interspecific, but it's so important to have and really fascinating to see new advancements that are really pushing for future discoveries. So, going off of that, not only are they establishing this new framework for investigating these ideas, they also suggest that it's possible that the ribs are being moved cranially by locomotor actions of the pectora muscles. Several of which, so, latissimus dorsi, pectoralis, and serratus anterior, insert on the anterior ribs, although posterior aspect of the pectoralis indirectly connects with the ribs through the rectus abdominis and are active during the late swing phase and most of the propulsive phase. So the late swing phase and propulsive phases refer to the specific motions when it comes to the slow treadmill walking. They found that rib kinematics are similar between the middle and caudal ribs, which are not connected to the latissimus dorsi, serratus anterior, or directly to the pectoralis. And because of that, that suggests that the forelimb musculature alone is not responsible for the reported rib kinematics. They also suggest that passive deformation of the trunk during the stride may be entirely responsible for, or at least contribute partially to rib rotations. So, going back to the bigger picture, the goal of the study was to measure these rib kinematics during slow locomotion, and not a combination of long ventilation and locomotion at the same time. And so by selecting locomotor cycles um, using x-ray imaging, they showed no evidence of lung volume change, being very careful to kind of control for when the uh, rib kinematics were occurring. While they did state that it was um, kind of difficult to source that and that further EMG analysis would need to be done to find the sourcing of that kinematic, but at least having a basis of understanding for that. So the locomotor results from the study 
show that the slow treadmill locomotion and not high-speed locomotion that was once hypothesized in previous literature are seriously comprise the ability of lizards to breathe while running. Overall, the results show that ribs actually move during locomotion and that they're not fully stabilized in place. Um, the movements occur unilaterally and these findings are not consistent with the bilateral rib motions that produce lung ventilation in lizards. And so they're speculating that there is a difference in functionality or uh, kind of use of rib kinematics between breathing alone and then also in the sprawling posture where, as I kind of mentioned before, there's a full body investment in getting the body forward. So looking at rib rotations, magnitude of rib rotations, and overall locomotion, they found that um, it had subsequently co-opted and modified for lung ventilation. So the rib motion during locomotion may have been advantageous not only for avoiding rib crowding, but also for balancing the competing influences of the extrinsic pectoral and hypaxial lateral bending musculature on the rib cage, which also increases the mag magnitude or efficacy of lateral bending powered by hypaxial muscle contraction. So again, they hypothesize that the key to this putative expectation was that the axis of rotation of ribs early amniotes constrained by bicapitate costovertible joints happened to be a rotation that would expand the thorax and pull air down into the lungs if expressed bilaterally. bilaterally. And they, um, they did not support that second, motion, that second notion there because they did observe um, different compressions of the ribs, different contractions of the ribs, depending on the situation. And that's where um, further imaging and further analysis of these kinematics will kind of formulate a better understanding of the origins of the initial purpose of differing kinematics so that breathing is possible while running, whether it's in a fight or flight situation. And so while this one was a little bit shorter than the previous one, I found it to be pretty sweet and to the point. And because of that, we were able to learn about how rib kinematic analysis kind of gives a better understanding of these different um, appendicular muscle structures and, and components involved in locomotion. So not only are we focusing on how the pelvic and pectoral girdles and the muscles involved with that contribute to locomotion, we also need to think about internal organs that are involved. So of course, lungs and breathing. And so respiration and comparing that back to evolutionary trends how are we able to see similarities, at least within a species, or between similar species, and then apply that to differences in other specialized locomotion? 
So with that, I will be ending this episode of our five-part series, and I look forward to recapping next time. Thank you.